This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Okay, welcome to another episode of Reclaiming Families. Thank you so much for listening. We are excited about launching this ministry, and we're thankful for your feedback on helping us get our uh, podcast in good shape. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you haven't already checked us out on Instagram and Facebook, please check us out, like us, follow us, and, uh, you know, check out our website. We need some traffic to our website, and that helps Google kind of know that, hey, this is a big deal. (laughs) Reclaiming Families is a big deal. Yeah. And so... uh, Also, podcast. Yep. Rate and review. Rate and review. Five stars, please. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's right. So, uh, but yeah, we are excited. We're glad that you are tuning in and listening. It really is a pleasure on our part. And uh, we're thankful for you. We're thankful for uh, this opportunity. And so with that, let's get started. And today we're continuing our third part of this uh, little series, I guess, on complementarianism. Ah, nailed it again. And uh, not bad for a country boy. And so, uh, yeah, today we're talking about... Femininity. That's right. Womanhood. Womanhood. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, this is important to talk about because of... You know, part of our vision is reclaiming gender and reclaiming families. And so that's why we would spend three weeks talking about just that. Complementarianism, masculinity, femininity. Last week, um, we kind of went off a definition of Ray Ortland for masculinity. Today, we're going to go off of a definition of John Piper um, from What's the Difference, as well as some stuff that was found in... Um, a ministry workbook from the Isaiah Ministry at Grace Church in Greenville, South Carolina. So if you want to learn more about that, you can look into those two things. Um, and we're going to dialogue about it. We're going to dialogue go. about it. Let's dig in. Let's roll. So the first thing is a little bit of a review. But men and women are made in the image of God. Yeah. Both men and women are, we've said it, we're going to continue to say it, are equal in value and and um, dignity, <laughs> dignity. <laughs> the words words are hard. Um, they're both created in man's image, and they're not created in man's image. In God's image, and they're created right. in God's image. Right. And, and so, but it's not. Yeah. yeah, it's not just men have the image of God. Not just women. Men and women are um, given God's image. Yeah. And so I want to break down a little bit about how men and women were created. Yeah, let's look at it. We talked last week that men were created first. And if you were to read um, Genesis 1 through 1 and 2, you'd really see this broken down. And I wish that we had time to go through it because I honestly, I think it's a, a beautiful passage of Scripture, but we just don't have time to dig into it how... I would like it, so... Maybe we'll do a story time for kids, and we'll just read Genesis 1 through 3. <laughs> yeah, we'll be sure to use voices as we do it to keep them engaged, that's right, that's right. maybe. 
Um, but so God creates man. We see that man, he looks to God and God sustains his life. And then God gives man a job to do. And so right there, what do we see? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just the flow of the passage that man is created. And then God tells Adam to work and keep the garden. Yeah. And so this is when something really great for Adam happens. A woman comes into play. Not just a woman. A helper. A helper. A wonderful woman. <laughs> what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say a naked woman. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, a naked woman. That's right. Um. Anyways. So, and he celebrates this. I mean, he celebrates with a song. This is the last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so it's not just like, oh, a woman comes on the scene, but it's like the woman, comes the, on the woman. Scene. He is thrilled. He is so excited. And I like that song. You know, we, we played it at our wedding. One reason we love it. And, and we had a, a good friend of ours sing it, but it's, it's like, at last. Yeah, I can't say it. We but, can't. Yeah. Anyways. But it's our, it's one of our favorites. Yeah. You know. So man, from this, from this. man is, God creates man, man looks at God, and then God, then man looks at the work ahead of him, and then he looks to woman. But that's not the order we see with woman. So when God created woman, she looks to God, God sustains her life, and then woman looks at Adam, and then together they look at work or, or she looks at work in the context of Adam. So right there, we see something that's uniquely relational about woman. And she looks to work in the context with Adam because she's the helper. So equally important, equally made in the image of God, equally loved, but different in roles. And we've talked about this. Men is the head. He's called the lead. And women's role is to be the helper and to work in the context of relationships. I think that's definitely, you know, the, the narrative, the picture of the narrative. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So the word helper. I want to play like Randy did last week. What comes to your mind when you think of helper? Yeah, it's uh, what comes to my mind when I think of helper um, is somebody who helps you accomplish what you want to do. Okay. Mm, nailed it. <laughs> that's what comes to my mind. But but that's not necessarily the... Uh, what I'm going for. Well, you tell me. You tell me. What are, you, what are you going for? Well, I mean, I just think that naturally a lot of times it could think of like, oh, being the helper, that's like the lame task. But that's not really... It's not lame at all. Like in the Hebrew word, we've said this a few times, but azer is the word used for the Holy Spirit. So being the helper is certainly not lame, but it's a word that has a ton of value to it, a ton of dignity to it. So there is a lot of value to being a helper. And it's special because it's the unique role of a woman. Like, you don't get to be the helper. I'm the helper. That's right. That's a, that's a good way to look at it. Like, it really can't. I feel like it's so easy. I can even tell my wife's voice that she's like, okay, i got to make the helper great you know like like just as great as being the head right and uh, and it is just as great as being the it head. is just as great as being the head but there's just something that is like oh it's you know sub you know 
like it's it feels like it's subpar mm-hmm. or sub you know subservient or subservient because that's what the cult like that's what the the voice of society and culture tells us is it's subpar yeah but that is not the voice of God's word that's not what God's word tells us yeah it's I think what yeah it's you know when I think of helper it's this you know it is a sense of helper but also when you put it in the context of God's design for family it becomes that you are playing this role um, of you know this of this picture you're this image this picture of the Holy Spirit hmm. and uh, and so it's a yeah it's I don't know and it's it's beautiful like I think of all the ways that my wife helps me in our household like she takes care of Ellie all day long okay she is continually and for some reason Ellie loves her daddy <laughs> more <laughs> than mommy that's right it's, it is tough and so but and even in that mama she just says it's okay like she really does she, I mean it hurts her so much like it doesn't hurt I mean sometimes it's like the Come other day on. it broke my heart because for the first time she like you know she falls she cries she wants her mama but the first time the other day she, didn't want she mama. cried she wanted and daddy. then she screamed when it wasn't daddy <laughs> that's right but that's only happened one time that's so right. and yeah you know, it, it is you know it's it's i mean on my part it's like oh she loves me oh <laughs> come here Ellie. <laughs> and so uh but yeah it's um <laughs> anyways we got off on a side note yeah we did but but going back to it uh yeah my wife makes our home really the home that it is and she makes our home a lot warmer and better in every way and uh, and she does it by helping hmm. and uh, and it's beautiful and gosh I think one thing when you hear the word helper so I was single for a lot longer than what I would have originally liked. <laughs> now, you know, I'm married and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But in the moments of being single, I think I would would hear things like helper and Eve was created to be Adam's helper. And I'd be kind of discouraged because it's like, well, how do I be the helper when I am not someone's helpmate? But I think that it's really important to recognize that women, not wives, but women are helpers. And we can do that, um, single women and married women alike, by three ways. Inviting, nurturing, and partnering. And so we're going to hop into those three ways a little bit. But before we do that, I want to make a couple prefaces. Um, Because I think anytime that we talk about womanhood, there comes some different like I don't know I'm just gonna call them lies or like things that we tend to believe especially like in society today but one thing is that like it's just important to note that interest and hobbies do not make someone feminine or interest and hobbies don't make someone a womanly woman so a woman yeah it's like women can love big trucks fishing and hunting, changing oil, changing oil, horsepower, all that, and yeah. still be very feminine. Bullets, so, guns, fire. 
They can like all those things. Tannerite? They can want to shoot Tannerite. Cool. And they can be feminine. And some women cannot even know what Tannerite is and be feminine. Be feminine. That's right. And but it's also some some boys could know what Tannerite is, shoot all the time, not be masculine. Right. And yeah, then some men right. cannot know what it is. And, that's right. But can men not know how to change a tire and be masculine? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's right. They sure can. That's right. Absolutely can. Um, so your femininity is also not defined by the sin that you struggle with. So a woman can struggle with anger or same sex attraction. And if that is a sin that she's struggling with while still striving to trust the Lord and walking in repentance, she can still be a feminine woman. Yeah, absolutely. So having a loud voice or being like, you know, a loud volumed lady does not make someone less feminine um and then i I would just go as far as to say a biblical woman is someone who loves jesus is a woman (laughs) who loves jesus who seeks him and fights her sin no matter what it is and so a biblical woman is one who strives to be a helper you know we're not going to be perfect in this by any means but a biblical woman, a feminine woman, is someone who walks in repentance and they seek the things of Jesus. Would you say, and would you say that is the role of? What would you, what do you mean by seeks the things of Jesus? What does that mean? Well, I mean like you know, strives to love God and His design. You know, does not want to sin but wants to please God. I'm not saying like in ways that are like specifically feminine. Like, as much as just Christian, like, to strive to be love, joy, peace, patience, you know, all of those kind of things. To strive to hate evil, love what is good, to know the gospel and live it out. Live in light of the gospel is probably what I mean. And then we say in that is, and embody the role of helper. Yeah, I'd say that too. Yeah. So, anyways, now we can look at helper. Um, Invite, nurture, partner. So, I'm going to play the game with you. When you think invite, what do you think of? Yeah, now I do like, I like the word invite. I like it a lot more now as a married man that a lot of, uh, so I think the word invite, I just think of, hey, come, join, Mm. join, come with me. Um, I am, it's almost like the woman is initiating me to take responsibility is kind of the, the idea I have. And, and that's the way I know that's where we're going, but, uh, <laughs> um, but that's the, that's the idea as a married man. I really, really, really appreciate it when my wife invites me to be the head of the family. Like it is like the most powerful thing to my soul and my heart Yeah, is when my wife invites me to lead to take responsibility. What do you um, think that looks like in marriage? I don't I mean, I know like probably what you mean, but like what's an example of that? Yeah, I think it's it's uh making decisions, right? Making um uh, it's like what do you want for dinner this week? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I mean in our, you know, in our family, you mm-hmm. know, I'm I'm, you know, Families are different, but in our family, my wife just picks what we're having for dinner. <laughs> okay? And I eat it, and I love it, and I appreciate it. I want it to stay that way. I don't want it to change. Uh, but no, I think it looks like 
when you know we're trying to decide um, what to do uh, if we're picking. Let's just say we're kind of picking our schedule, like what what we're going to do that week. Um, or actually, I tell you, what, marriage questions. Yeah, we had those marriage questions on the uh, yeah the check it out the under website. the resource tab. That's right, free resource. And so my wife will will invite me to lead us through those marriage questions. Or like you're talking like a family worship night, or like different traditions where I want to set, and then I kind of. Yeah, Christmas traditions. These what where the traditions are. My wife is inviting me to lead our family through these things. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that that's a lot I, of. I love that. That's, that's awesome, man. That's good because I think as women we do get the opportunity to invite men into leadership, and we get to invite them into headship. And I think as the church, like I guess Big C Church, as well as like our local church. Like, I, I want to see men lead. And when I'm thinking rightly, and, you know, I'm not always thinking rightly, I want to be the someone who helps and empowers men to do that. And we're obviously not going to do it perfectly, but I do believe that the church and the family thrives when men fulfill their roles to lead and when women fulfill our roles to be the helper. And so it doesn't always have to be family. I mentioned last week, um, you know, I worked on staff with a college ministry and there were plenty of times when I was able to invite my like man friends, my male friends into leadership. You know, um, when Randy came on staff with Campus Outreach before we were married, I had been on staff about a year longer than him, and a year is not that much more experience. That's um, a good bit, though. And, you know, there was a split second when he was my boss. And there was actually a few times when I had a boss that was younger than me who had had less ministry experience than me. Um, but just being able to willingly place myself under them, or even times when, you know, there's a 20-year-old that's trying to, to take... Um, a leadership role on maybe a summer project or in a ministry event. And it's just like, you know what? I'm going to follow him right now because I want to see him grow and develop. And there could be times when I would even say, hey, I need help with this. Something that I could easily do on my own, easily come up with on my own and probably do it quicker and better. But it's like I want to give the opportunity for him to lead. And so, you know, opportunities in our husband, we can invite them to lead the home in the home. Just like what we were saying a second ago, friends, if we see a need, we can invite our brothers to step in and lead. So for example, our church has, um, community on mission groups. So we meet in small groups, you know, uh, throughout the week, but we could, if we see like, okay, we could use a worship night or a prayer night we could suggest it to one of our brothers in Christ and suggest that they step up and lead it. You know, other relationships are with mothers and sons. Now, mothers are obviously over their sons, but even as a mom, I don't I don't have sons, and I'm sure that this would be really difficult, but even as a mom, you have an opportunity to call your son up into leadership and That's cool. Yeah, and I mean, you've probably seen that more than me because you have a mom with three yeah, boys. Yeah, I would say that, you know, I, I can't really think of, you know, 
I don't, I don't have a very good memory. It's one, but uh, I feel like it's kind of like that. All right, son, look after your mom while I'm away. <laughs> right. That that happened a lot. Right. That happened a lot. But um, yeah. Uh, On the farm, there was stuff like nitty gritty stuff that you probably did. That when your dad was out of town or something. Sure, chores and stuff like that. Yeah. I can't think of an example. I'm sure that there is a couple that you... Yeah, and I would say, you know, like, the, hey, step up and lead. It's not really, you know, like, my family probably doesn't have a, a great... Um, yeah, that's a, just a, a room for improvement in my family. And, and that's where that's where I really do love the idea of inviting is because my whole life I've really been the poor leader. Yeah, I, I feel like. And so... It's not until I had opportunities where in college to lead and women would say, uh, or, you know, people would say, okay, Randy, you're in charge. We're giving you the, the lead, the role. And, and then I would take it and, you know, and, and I would say, okay, well, let's you know, see how this goes. And, and I would, I would do bad, good. Yeah. I would, you know, I really did a lot of bad <laughs> leading. And but through it, you begin to kind of be formed and fashioned, and mm-hmm. and uh, you fail at leadership, and that's how you get better at leadership is you fail at it. Yeah. And I am by no means the greatest leader out there. I still have so many um, leadership you know, abilities I need to grow in, but I do love the idea of women kind of helping to build up men to lead. Yeah. And so it's a beautiful picture. So right there, we've seen one way women exercise that inviting aspect of femininity is by inviting men to take role as leader. But another way that women um, use that feminine aspect of inviting, and I would say, in my opinion, this is uh, possibly the greatest way, is by creating a warm, hospitable space for others. So... This could look like um, creating an inviting space, creating a relationally warm space where others know that they're welcomed. Um, And it could even be creating an emotionally safe place for others to be in. Yeah, I think when we got married, it was, uh, you know, it's funny. When we got married, I had stuff, Hillary had stuff. But you know the stuff that we that we brought home and we live with is Hillary stuff, right? Well, that's My, because one of our stuff was not probably inviting, and uh, yeah, well, that's a nice way of putting it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. Anyways, um, but just this idea, I just never had on my radar. But to build a a warm, inviting home, it's just it wasn't on my radar. But I came home one day from work after you know we've been married for just a little while, and also my wife had put pictures on the wall. She put she decorated the house and kind of set everything up. And I came in, I was like, wow, this is, this is really nice. Yeah. And, you know, on a, maybe like a biological side of that, you know, when women are hitting the last weeks of pregnancy, you know, they have that nesting where they're actually like trying to get everything together before a baby comes. And I think that that is part of that inviting aspect of being a woman where, you're wanting to create that warm space to welcome your child into. And so I've heard it said before um, that 
the mom, and I, I don't think it's only moms, I think it's women in general, create the, are, are kind of an emotional thermostat for the rest of the people around them. So if you come home and mom is super stressed, then it's really likely the rest of the family is going to yeah. be kind of off or stressed. Mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. That's right. Yeah. Um, but likewise, if mom is, if mom is healthy and, and happy and, and doing well spiritually and mentally and emotionally, then it's really likely that the other family members will be doing okay too. And so just with that, it's kind of that creating a warm, inviting space. And I think that's a very, very important part of, of being a woman. And, and some personalities are different. You know, some people are introverted and some people are extroverted. Some men are great at, at hospitality. Um, but overall, I think that that is a unique there's, there's a uniqueness to how women, even very introverted women, create a warm and inviting place for other people. Um, you know, it's where people, where we can share our, our space with others and we can share our lives with others. So, it's yeah, good. Yeah, I definitely love the fact that, you know, my wife is kind of like, like she said, that's that's kind of like her role. That's what yeah. she grabs a hold of and... and uh, yeah, our home is really what it is because my wife has made it this, you know, inviting space. So, well, let's keep going. The next part of being a helper is to nurture. So let's keep, I want to ask you the same question. What do you think of when you think of the word nurture? Nurture, I think, is uh, kind of like a plant and you are nurturing that plant. So the plant is young. The plant is growing. It's um, Not bearing fruit yet. And it's a little seedling coming up out of the ground, mm. not mature, but it is growing toward maturity. Yeah, that's what I think of too. That's a cool analogy. And the obvious ways that, probably the most obvious way where this is a unique role to women is with children and being a mom. Yeah. Um, you know, it just comes so much more naturally, not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time for women to take that nurturing, mothering responsibility. Um and it's, it's a sweet opportunity to be able to care f- and for the growth and development of your children. Um, yeah. But... My wife does that really well. Mm, thanks. Um, but there's other, like, there's tons of other examples. Like, nurturing is taking opportunity to care for and cherish one another. Something our church does really well is meal trains. Like, yeah. you know, celebrating with other people. Um and grieving with other people too. Um, and so taking care of people by meal trains, um, gardening is a way of, of doing this well. Uh, we're actually going to have someone come on the podcast in a few weeks and talk about how she fulfills these roles as a single woman within her job. She works, um, she works within, uh, DCS. And so she's constantly getting to, to nurture and love on, children there and so she's gonna to talk about that some but I would say most importantly how can we do this is discipleship yeah and that's where women coming alongside of another woman a little bit younger or her children and caring for and encouraging them um, to grow and become more like Jesus so whether it be with your children someone who doesn't know Jesus or someone within the the church community discipleship it's a great way to nurture. Yeah, you know, and it really it's a pretty wild thought to think that, you know, our our daughter, 
Like we're, you know, part of our goal is to nurture our daughter to be a woman that is a, it's going to be a great helper to a great man. Like, I think that's, that's, that's the part of the goal. You know I mean, there's no guarantee she gets married. Right. But, um, but also at the same time, if we had a little boy, it'd be to nurture him and build him up to one day be a leader, be the head. head. That's right. That's right. Be the head of, yeah, the head of a home. And in doing that, you know, mom and dad, you know, mom has to kind of nurture him up. And then, you know, kind of one day it's like almost sit underneath him, hmm. you know, in, in the sense kind of, of, kind of, you know, in not, a sense. Yeah. So w- Willingly, not yeah. because I have to, but because I want to. Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's not the head of our home. I, I'm the head of our home. Right. That's right. We don't have a son anyways. That's right. We don't. But partner, what does that look like? What does that come to mind to you? Yeah, partner is, I've kind of got the idea of tasks, accomplishing tasks together. And yeah. so that's a bad view of partner, but uh, that's that's my primary thought, partner. I think so too. Like the ruling and reigning together. Like God did not only tell Adam to work in the garden. He told Adam and Eve to work in the garden together. He told him, you know, Adam, you lead it. Eve, you help him. And together you're going to make a fuller image of God. And I think that just shows that we need each other. But like, it's so much better because men bring something to the table, strength, leadership, like the fight and drive, the initiation. And then women bring something unique to the table, like the nurture, the beauty, the mystery. And together, like we can get a job done better because we are being a fuller image of God. And when we work together, the lost world gets to see the church at work with different giftings, different personalities, men being men, women being women, and there is a bigger impact. So God, like think about it like this. God could populate the world however he wants to, both physically and spiritually, like with disciples and with babies. But God chooses to use men and women. And you know what? For some reason, that's become controversial these days. Um, that men can have, like, people can have babies without, like, they could be pregnant men. But it's like, newsflash, not true. God created yeah. men and women to mul- be fruitful and multiply together. Babies would be impossible without men and women. So even that is a picture of of partnering together. We need each other for discipleship to populate the world with little disciples. And we need each other to physically populate the world with more humans. That's right. And I really do. I think, you know, the idea of rule and subdue together really puts it in a perspective of men, a man is the head, a woman the helper, mm. but both are to rule and subdue together. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I think like, okay, how do it kind of balances me out. Of, okay, if you're being domineering, you're not ruling together, right? If if a man is is making all the decisions and and not weighing the input of his wife, he's not ruling together. But likewise, you know, if the woman is, um, you know, I would say the same thing: being domineering, there's no ruling together. Or if she's not helping, there's no ruling together. And so there's a sense of ruling together. I think makes it more beautiful because it is this complementary where it is together the fuller picture of who God is and 
It's a beautiful design, and it works well. Yeah, it does work well. Yeah, but I mean, struggles in it, but when done right, it works awesome. And I guess the struggles come in when sin enters the world, because if we were to function just the way God created us, I mean, we'd we'd be living in Eden. We'd be living in a perfect world. But reality is, you know, we've already talked about it, but Eve was deceived. Adam, he did not lead well. He was passive. He watched his wife be deceived. She ate of the fruit, gave it to him. And at that point, sin entered the world. And at that point, everything became broken. Their relationship became broken. Um, You know, brokenness exists. Death exists. We talked about that last week. It all exists because sin entered the world. And there there was a curse and at that curse we've talked about the curse for men but the curse for women i'll I'll read it real quick and we can talk about it Um, the curse for women says i will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you so first part's clear there's going to be pain and giving birth you know and that is a real I mean, it's a real curse by y'all for sure. But it's like, I've experienced my wife and other women. I haven't experienced other women, but I've been in a hospital where other women are giving birth. You know what's funny is he's not even referring to me when he talks about this. He's referring to the woman that was giving birth in the room next to us. That's right. And I know. She was in pain. There was some pain going on in that room. Yeah. And uh, y'all, yeah. She came in right like about to pop. When I was just beginning to be induced, and Randy was like, "Uh oh, we're in for a yeah, long like, couple of days." Yeah, I mean, we're, we're just getting there, so I'm just thinking, like, "What's this gonna be like?" And I hear this woman in the other room just screaming, and and just, you know, it's like this sense of just, you know, not wailing, but just this she was agony, pain, and uh, she, you know, was tough. It just shows the toughness of women. Um, but yeah, so I don't know where anyway. we're getting off, but the, oh, the pain and childbearing, it's like, it's a real pain. But don't let that discourage you from having children. Because the funny thing is like, Holy I don't even man. remember the pain anymore. Oh, it's so, so worth it. So beautiful. The pain, you know, but the pain is real. Anyways, the second part of the curse is that we will want to continue to do what Eve did in the garden. Um, we're going to want to assert ourselves as the leader. We're going to want to take matters into our own hands. And I think that that is, comes out in two ways that it plays out. Is one being domineering and one being unsatisfied. What do you think? Yeah, domineering and unsatisfied. I, I, I agree with it. It's like, hey, things are not working out the way I want it. Uh, or I don't believe that you're looking out for me. I'm not satisfied with your leadership. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my own. Yeah. For some reason, saying even saying that, like domineering and unsatisfied, the unsatisfied thing is like, okay, yeah. Grass is greener on the other side. We all struggle with that. But to like say domineering is like, it's like even saying it, I'm kind of like, reel it back in. At least don't say it in front of Randy. Like say it to a group of women, but like don't rat yourself out in front of your husband, even though he knows. Yeah. But there just feels like there's something. Because I think I'm, I like, I looked up the word domineering and I kind of put some definitions together. This is not the definition but it's to assert one's will over another in an arrogant way. 
And it's like, it's not leading. It's pretty much trying to, it's like a mix of pride and manipulation. Like you're thinking that you always know what's best. And so, you know, it plays out in trying to buck up against someone's leadership over you. If you were a kid, it could be your parents. Um, It could be bucking up against a boss or fighting to get your own way in a group of friends. And I would say if you're married, it is likely happening um, in your bucking up against your husband's leadership. Yeah. I don't like to wrap myself out on that one, but it's true. And it's sad. It really is. Like I think, you know, we've experienced it and I know a lot of other couples that experience it and it just leads to broken, fractured relationships that yeah. are just, it's just sad. Cause it's not like Randy said, you know, a second ago, how life giving it is when I invite him to lead. Yeah. Think about how crushing it is to domineer over him. That's right. That's right. So then unsatisfied, it's like, well, to be not satisfied, what does it look like to be satisfied? Or, or yeah, I want to go back to how crushing it is oh. when you domineer over me. <laughs> you know, the idea of, you know, it, it really is saying, hey, you are not um, who God made you to be. Hmm. Yeah, it really says it. you are not the head. You are you are worthless. Yeah, you are. It's that's the that's the feeling that I get when. Um, yeah, my wife tries to domineer over me. Like it's this sense of you are despicable, worthless. Um, you are not who you were made to be, and it it just um, it just kind of annihilates my soul. You know, in uh, in many ways. And, and I wonder if you know a lot of men, if they're honest, I think they would say the same thing. It's a, it's this sense of like, yeah, yike, ouch. And you know. There, I'm going to be honest, there's part of me that thinks like that's a little dramatic. <laughs> yeah, annihilation of my soul. Yeah, that's right. And then there's another part of me that's like, I never want my husband to feel like that. And so why would I not always be inviting him into leadership? But then there's a sinful little twinge in me that just says, when I don't get my way, dominate, domineer. Yep. And so it's really twisted. And but, that's the life we live. That's our that's our life. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, looking at unsatisfied to transition to that, when we look at being satisfied, we see contentment. But to be unsatisfied is to want more. Um, the other day I wrote down a few covers of some magazines, and I just think it was kind of funny, a little display of women being unsatisfied, but said, drop 25 pounds in 28 days. One said, get the bra that makes all the difference. One said, 63 secrets to make love last. One said, 10 ways for hotter sex. One said, lose your belly. So these magazines are, they they know that we as women are unsatisfied because none of those magazines were marketed towards men. They were all marketed towards women and they're preying on our unsatisfaction by offering us better bodies, better sex, better jobs, more money, and like better hair. And so if we're honest with ourselves as women, I think that 
we could all say that we see that domineering spirit within us. I know I'm a prideful person. We've just talked about that. And I also say that like I'm easily unsatisfied. I buy into the lie that the grass is greener. As singleness, I want in marriage. In marriage, I want, you know, we want children or a better marriage. In parenting, we might want our children to understand something. In work, it might be the promotion. And if we're staying at home, we might wish we had time to ourselves. You know, we might wish we had different bodies. There's always something. And so I could go on and on and on. But the point is, we need hope. Yeah, absolutely. And so, I mean, we've been looking at Genesis 1 through 3. We just looked at the curse. But I love, 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 love Genesis 3.15. And it is the very first picture of of the Christ coming in. Um, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. So this is this is God referring to the serpent. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And so right there, we see a picture. It's like the hope that we need, like because of our, our sinfulness, because of men being passive, because of women being prideful, we are in need of a Savior. Without a Savior, we are destined for an eternity apart from Christ. But God comes in and He promises a Savior. One that will crush the serpent forever. And I, I love, you know, last week Randy asked me what I thought of when um, the Adam named Eve. And it's like the man called his wife name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made Adam and Eve clothing. And so this is just a foreshadowing of Christ. And so in all of this messiness and in all of the men's roles and women's roles, we see a beautiful picture of the gospel because we cannot do it apart from Christ. It would be impossible for us to fulfill our roles apart from the power of Christ. Yeah. Just that, that picture of like your, you know, Adam and Eve are naked they're guilty. They're ashamed. They mm-hmm. feel shame. And what does God do? Um, yeah, He does. I mean, there's consequences for their actions, right? There's a curse. Yeah. But also at the same time, there's this promise of redemption in the future. Yeah. To hold on to, and also, He clothes them. Right. He covers the shame. He covers it's the good. shame there, and, and yeah, it is this foreshadowing, a shadowing of. Of the day when Jesus abolishes our sin on the cross and clothes clothes us with His righteousness. That's good. And uh, we long for that day. Yeah, and it's it's this that you know it's already occurred, and yet there's this future promise of yeah. of its uh, um, you know full fulfillment. Yeah. And so, so as you consider the roles of men and the roles of women. Consider the greatness of the gospel. That's right. And with that in mind, it helps you be the helper, right? Yeah, and, and the leader. And the leader, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, and it helps you rule and subdue together. together. That's and good. So, All right. So, yeah, that's... Uh, Thanks for tuning in to our three-part series on complementarianism, masculinity, and femininity. Hey, we have a great... Um, 
guest for you. Our first guest is coming on next week. So you're really going to want to tune in next week and hear our podcast that is focused on singleness. Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.